like the warm fuzzy part of my job is when I get a phone call from a client and she comes out of her board meeting and she says things like, not only did they give me everything that I wanted, that I asked for, but they pulled me aside and asked me why I'm the only one they can't push around. And wow. it's like, yeah, like, That's because, huge. you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's massive. And they, and then they act differently. Even the next time I see them on a zoom, their shoulders are back. They're talking about themselves in a third person, these situations differently. They look at opportunities differently not like they should be available to them, but that they should be, they should have those opportunities. As a young child, Edwina Adams was quiet by nature. She would whisper when speaking. In boot camp, she was thrashed for not yelling loud enough. But when she discovered her ex-husband was a con man, she started to make noise, proving you don't have to be loud to make some noise. Now Edwina's on a mission to motivate so kick back and tune in for candid conversations with those who have harnessed the power of their voices. Let's make some noise. Welcome to Let's Make Some Noise, where no matter what you sound like, you can make some noise. I'm Edwina Adams, and today I'm talking with Damon Diamore. He's a founder of Legacy Mentor. So he's a C-suite advisor working with women who lead and doing storytelling for stakeholders. So I cannot wait to talk to you, Damon, um, about all of this. And thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. How's, yeah. uh, how's your Friday morning in Texas? It's going well. It finally cooled down a bit. So I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I have had a great time kind of off, uh, off air getting to know you. And we had a great conversation and you have so much we could talk about. So I'm going to try to pull out some things that um, we just talk about today. And, you know, you're the definition of somebody who has used their voice, that's for sure. And that's what we talk about on this podcast is using using your voice. And that can look like so many different things. Um, and, and now you work with women teaching them how to use use their voice. So what do you what do you what led you to that um, demographic? It was kind of a natural progression when I started my coaching company um, back about almost nine years ago, because the level of coaching I do directly with C-suite, usually Fortune 500, sometimes it extends to a thousand. But my programs are uh, you know, intense, long six or 12 month programs. It's a big commitment. And I don't get leads from a LinkedIn article. You know, it's all referral based at that level. And some of my initial clients were women. CEOs and CMOs, and, you know, they talk to other women in their networks. They have, you know, they're in their female YPO groups or in their, their female, you know, book clubs or whatever it might be. Um, so after a while, I finally developed a curriculum specific to women in leadership um, and specifically around how to communicate to their male stakeholders in a way that gains them engagement and advocacy. And especially because there's an age gap, because a lot of the women I work with who are in the C-suite today they might be in their 40s, early 50s, but a lot of their board members are much older. So what they think they're saying sometimes is being heard differently by their male stakeholders. Yeah. So uh, basically um, how to communicate effectively to, to get what they want, not in some manipulative Machiavellian way, but, um, you know, there's there's conscious and unconscious biases that exist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the best way to overcome those is through a solid storytelling technique backed by real data so you tell yeah. a compelling story and it's backed by backed by facts 
Yeah, I, I definitely, as a woman, know that that's important because I've worked in male-dominated fields most of my life. And, um, you know, I was fortunate to have a father who had all daughters. He had all sisters. He highly respects women. And I know you have, like, all sisters and a, and a mom that you respect. And so kind of that same thing that I, I grew up with, learning that it's it's okay to say what I need or, you know, just put it out there. But many women don't learn that early on. Um, there's just a lot of different reasons why for that, but it really can hold them back. And um, and what you're probably finding with your community that you coach is that it really is a hindrance if they don't know how to communicate effectively with men, because there is a, a very big difference. It gets frustrating because a lot of times they think that what they're saying is compelling or should lead to advocacy but it doesn't and they don't understand why a friend of mine, Valerie Alexander wrote a book called about unconscious bias and the biological and, and kind of historical foundation for that. Why it's not just, you know, overt, but how men hear different things sometimes when women say them. And it, it, the book was called uh, how women can succeed in business despite having female brains. Right. And, um, and she herself experienced that. But what I see with my clients is that either, Either they had really strong father figures who who didn't treat them differently than the boys in the family. They were expected to do the same thing. Um, or um, they had a really strong mother figure who was also very independent and, and not afraid to use their voice. Um, but I can tell you from having taught, you know, uh, MBAs on the West Coast for a long time when I was still living there, that a lot of the foreign students that came over from Asia, it was part of their culture where these girls were, weren't even um, ignored. They were discouraged from raising their hands in class because mm -hmm. classroom Q&A time was reserved for the boys because they were going to be the business leaders and, and professors and whatever. And then they get to America for an MBA class. And, and after a few weeks, I said, why aren't you asking any questions? Well, where I come from, you know, the, we let all the boys ask questions first. And if there's time left, and I was like, oh, you're not in my class. <laughs> That's so sad, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's sad. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural thing. Like, you know, mm -hmm. so... Um, so the work that I do, it makes me happy. Like the warm, fuzzy part of my job is when I get a phone call from a client and she comes out of her board meeting and she says things like, not only did they give me everything that I wanted that I asked for, but they pulled me aside and asked me why I'm the only one they can't push around. And wow. it's like, yeah, like, That's because, huge. you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's massive. And they, and then they act differently. Even the next time I see them on a zoom, their shoulders are back. They're talking about themselves in the third person, these situations differently. They look at opportunities differently, not like they should be available to them, but that they should be, they should have those opportunities. Um, so yeah, hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and you may find this too, that like I have found, even though if, if I'm confident, I feel like I can do that. Once I became a mother and I really, really put other people first for years, um, I feel like I lost a little bit of that. So I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I yeah. then just started not using my voice for myself anymore because uh, in my mind, like I didn't matter right now, like they mattered. I had to take care of them. It didn't matter where I was at in life. And so I, I feel like I'm just now coming out of that with my kids being around 10, 11 years of age that, um, so I don't know if you've noticed that in any of your clients. I, I see it a lot. Actually, one of the testimonials on my website and on my women's page is from a CEO who said that all her life, she was told to take care of everybody else, but mm -hmm. herself second. And some of that comes from a good place, believe it or not. Like at least when I gr was growing up, you know, 
parents would tell their little boys, Gen Xers, that you're going to go out and do these great things one day. You're going to build this and do that and conquer this and do whatever. But women were told from a young age, if, you know, you're going to grow up, you're going to be, you know, you're going to find your Prince Charming and he's going to marry you and give you a family. So from day one, you're told that you're not enough. You're not complete, you know, right? that there's some missing piece for you to be whatever you can be. Um, and then that translates into women have kids or do whatever, husbands, other wives, other responsibilities, and that that desire to take care of everybody else before yourself seeps into business. And in 2020, during the pandemic, it seeped into their office life because they became everybody's kind of like mommy when everybody was having a, a breakdown. And I would always tell them, you know, you have a husband at home, you're all working from home, you got two kids, you're working 80 hours a week. Imagine you're on an airplane and that the masks drop. And no matter how cute and cuddly your baby is, you got to take care of yourself first so you can take care of everybody else. So um, I see it a lot. And it takes it takes some time to get that mindset shift and to realize that the world's not going to fall apart if they're not there to constantly take care of every dependence, little right. tiny needs. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I see it a lot. Yeah, that that that's good that you're recognizing it and and teaching them how to come out of that as well. Um, and, and there's beauty in sacrifice. You know, don't get me yeah. wrong. Like motherhood is beautiful. It's it's a necessity. Um, but yeah, you coming out of that definitely is a process. Um, so I, I know you've also done some other interesting things prior to you starting this business. Um, uh, there's a lot that you could probably talk about. I, I know there's some that I really think are cool. Um, what would you like to talk about today? I'm an open book. We can okay. talk about anything. I can tell you at a very high level, I started my career on Wall Street when I was 21. I left college and I worked for uh, the world's leading um, treasury bond uh, brokerage and trading firm. And I built businesses in London and the and the U.S., reporting directly to the C-suite at a young age. And that's when I started to get this different perspective of how leaders thought about opportunities and risks and d different expectations on, on people for deliverables. But I went into entertainment media for a long time where I met our mutual friend, Ben. Um, I produced film and commercials and then a lot of reality television, um, but also on the brand side because I had a business background. I was usually one of the only producers on set who could talk to the CMO of Procter & Gamble about XYZ while they're doing the creative integrations. I had a small consumer product startup after I left Hollywood. I started a small venture capital firm, um, but uh, always working with the, these level people and without knowing it was coaching that the soft trade was, I was giving them a lot of psychological performance and resilience uh, coaching in exchange for their advocacy or as board members or stakeholders or whatever. Um, and that led me through a whole bunch of windy roads to start this business at a lot of inner resistance. I didn't want to do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so coaching's BS. These people I meet are just lunatics. They're, they, they have, you know, they're coaching some system out of a binder. They never lived. But yeah. by that point I'd spent, you know, 19, 20 years working directly one-on-one -on -one, building large businesses directly with the top C-suite execs in corporate America, but also having them lean on me for psychological performance. And now what I call storytelling for stakeholders, they didn't know how to get advocacy for what they wanted. And I was the great reality slash documentary storyteller with a deep business background. So I had the emotional connection side on the, on the human side and the business data points to back it up. But I can talk about any of that. It's, um, yeah. it, it's a really long story. So, so I, I was on Ben's podcast for three hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So, cause you, you ended up doing work on the apprentice and undercover mm -hmm. boss 
And, you know, just because of this, you're a professional connector, I would say as well, doing the storytelling. Yeah, it was amazing because when I worked on The Apprentice back in the day, it was, you know, 2004, five-ish, um, before it was celebrity. It was just the, the original, like, format. Um, and I got to work with Trump, which was amazing in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but then Undercover Boss, I did most of the casting for the CEOs for seasons one and two. They had shot a pilot. And then because of my background with knowing apprentice brands at a high level, <clears throat> they were having a problem casting it because nobody had seen the show yet. Long story, but basically I interviewed about 300 CEOs and CMOs over a year and a half to be on wow. the show. And maybe, maybe 40 or 50 of them made it on over the years after I, between bleeding into other seasons. Um, but it was great because I got to know a lot of these people and it fed my business side again, more than my creative side. And that's when I left to do the, the other, the other business work that I started or more business focused work. Um, but yeah, undercover bosses are amazing. So we're still friends. I was talking yesterday to one of the undercover bosses, you know, it's like <laughs> a lot of them are retired now, or if they still have their businesses, they're getting close to their liquidity event or exit strategy. Cause that was now 14 years ago. Um, but yeah. yeah. Well, you amazing. did a good job of casting that show because that may have been the only seasons I've watched. I, I just haven't watched it in, in a long time, but um, I know that I did watch the first couple of seasons at least, and it, I was crying every freaking season. So thanks for that. <laughs> but great ah, storytelling. Yeah. <laughs> they were really good. I didn't shoot the actual show. I found them, but the story producers were amazing because it was their job to go through and maybe interview a hundred employees to figure out these four also had an alcoholic, you know, recovery background, or these four also had moms with kids, like whatever it might be to try to get them to have those emotional reactions. The storytelling uh, producers, story producers were amazing on that show as were the EPs, my pals, but um, yeah, it was a great experience. And it was interesting to see how regular people who, who live and work in corporate America, like you and I do, they would come up to me and say, wow, they're all such normal, like real people and they see i said what do you think they're robots because they run some company they all have lots of problems like everybody else does they just you know they have different so it was great to see them humanized because the show started right after the recession hit in 08 09 um that's when i started doing the casting the, the winter of 08 and america hated these people because they thought they were living in their mansions while they were firing everybody losing their homes mm. so it was a great way to humanize and show that you know Government comes and goes, other things come and go, but corporate America is this bedrock foundation that really is the main problem solver for a lot of societal, cultural problems over time. Like people lean on the business community when they have to. Yeah, uh, it, it is. Um, but I, I also, you know, in each episode, you see that they were those CEOs were always thankful that they had stepped down out of their office and gotten on the ground level. And it was very eye-opening. So sometimes we get stuck in a rut and we're just doing our thing, doing our thing. And new problems are evolving behind us and we just never know. So it was really cool to see them, you know, humble themselves and, and put their put themselves in those shoes to, to see that. So it's, it's it, refreshing. It's also why sometimes I interview the stakeholders of my clients because they can't get honest feedback just like those CEOs can't get honest feedback. People are afraid of losing their jobs if they criticize them too much or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you're telling some stranger consultant, some you know ambiguous consultant what's going on, and they get that feedback, that's what's really, really valuable. And even today, like there's so much of a 
for better or for worse, there's a lot more of a HR, you know, corporate wellness lean in on everything to do with corporate America. And I know some people at high levels that can't even take a meeting without an HR person being in the room because that's just a policy. So um, it's good to have a sense of what's really going on, transparent feedback, um, and it helps because ultimately the two the two worlds are going to meet. You're going to have your vision and what's really going on. And if they're so far apart, the farther apart they are, the faster they're heading towards each other, and it's going to be a bigger crash in the middle. If you're mm-hmm. if you're close to each other, you're just going to kind of have bumps along the way. Um, but you know, transparency helps you avoid these two totally different worldviews of what's actually going on. Yeah. Well, Damon, I also like to kind of dive into you know the buildup of who you are and, and what brought you to this and, and the way you use your voice and show up in the world now. So what were you like as a child? Introvert, very, very timid, very skinny, small kid, like moved around a lot. I lived in probably nine towns when I was a kid because my parents pulled up when I was young. And as a small kid banging around, you know, thrown in lockers, always mm-hmm. beaten up, new kid, whatever it might be. Um, I had a small core solid group of friends that was translated throughout my life. But um I had this really indignant streak where when I whenever I would say I wanted to do things, I was told that because of family or economic or social circumstances, whatever it might be, well, that's just not for you. And when the time came and I saw an opportunity to leave leave college early and go take a risk and go work on Wall Street, um I was like, of course, everybody's like, we can't do that. It's like, well, watch me. And then after a successful career on Wall Street, you can't go to Hollywood. You don't know anything about that. You don't go to, well, watch me. Now my name's on Sunday nights at the end credits of these biggest shows on television. You you can't go do X, Y, Z. So that's kind of that indignant attitude, plus a a, a true survivor, um, heavy resilience. No one is coming. Hope is not a plan. All these kind of like negative motivations that I've had my whole life. but but turn them into positive energy to get stuck down there with yeah. victim mindset. Um, that's really what's kind of pushed me through. And now I've come to a better balanced Zen place where I have positive and negative motivation, you know, <laughs> on my computer, I'm looking at it. And one of them says that, you know, you, ha- you don't have time. You only have intentions. So make sure mm-hmm. what you do is intentional. That's and good. the other thing says your 10 year old self will be disappointed if you saw you right now. Oh. It's like, <laughs> You know, straighten up. <laughs> you're not working as hard as you can be, and you know it, Jordan Peterson. So, um, yeah. Uh, so that's you know, I was very curious kid. I didn't like uh, academia. I, I was not a good student most of the time. Um, short attention span. I was probably a little bit ADD. Didn't diagnose it. Um, but I was a practical learner, and that's why even when I went to Wall Street, they said. Well, you can't have a job on the training floor because you didn't go to a, a, you know, didn't graduate college, but also you didn't really go to a good school. You went to a state school. Mm. I said, what job can I have? And they said, well, the lowest rung is literally running tickets back and forth to the pits. And I was like, that's how I learned the job. Great. Give it to me. I learned from the ground up. And within three months, I was on training floor as an assistant. And then within a year, I had my own desk that I was running. Um, Mm. And I was the same way with film. I didn't want to go back to school in my twenties and go to college, get a job interning at an independent film company and wind up on set and learn how these things are made. You know, mm-hmm. um, same thing when I went from film to reality or from reality to building consumer products and getting my first patents issued on, on ideas that I had in designs. Um, and that indignant attitude carried because my first product 
I must have had like three or four lawyers tell me that opinion letters I paid for, you can't patent this. And I was like, that's just the wrong answer completely. So, you know, I kept going down the line until I found somebody who got me two patents issued out of the three I filed. Wow. And um, I just heard a story about Tom Cruise with The Last Mission Impossible, where he's been wanting to do this big, crazy stunt for years. And every time that he got a new stunt coordinator that said he couldn't do it, he'd say, thank you, you're fired. Find me somebody that who's going to figure out how I can do this. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what carried me through. Um, all. And even to this point, you know, when I decided to really become a coach and a good friend of mine, uh, Robbie, who was the head of culture at Zappos, sat me down and said, you should do this. You're good at it. I know you think it's BS, but frame, build your own curriculum, make it proprietary, build it in the way that you're proud to sell it to the network of people that you have respect for. Um, even then people said, well, you're not going to get jobs if you're not certified by X, Y, or Z. And it's like, I have, you know, at that point, 20 years experience and really practical, a, a practical curriculum in my head that wasn't turned into a curriculum. And I still reject that. It's like, I encourage people to go out and get all kinds of, you know, uh, academic or whatever certifications. Great. What I do is different. It's unique. I only work with three or four clients a year at that level. And I encourage them to have multiple coaches to do other things. But if you want my perspective, it's only in my head. There's not going to be a group of trained mini me Damon coaches running around to scale my business. Like that's, yeah. I'm, I'm way past that. This is not, no, I, I love what I do. And I'm constantly learning. A third of my time is spent on continuing education, learning more about my craft research. A third of my time is spent coaching and a third of my time is spent creating content to share that knowledge, not to sell it, but to share it. And right now, most of that time is being taken up by write, trying to write a book. It's a brutal process. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I hear you. I just started doing that as well. Um, it, it's a lot. Congrats. <laughs> it's a I'm lot. working Thank with you. a great editor. If you need somebody, I can oh, refer you to uh, offline. Okay. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll get some information from you for sure. I'm a ways away though, for sure. Um, so man, you've done a lot. Um, and I knew that, but that's even more than I knew. Um, I like your quote about what was that about? You don't something about time and intention. You don't have time. Uh, you you have never intention. have time. Only intentions. And it's, uh, I think that was Shane Parrish or or uh, Brad um, Stolberg, one of the two. But um, I'm a big quote guy. But uh, yeah, it's like you need to be intentional. Look, every day, I even tell the, the people I work with at a very high level. I was in one of their offices last week in Silicon Valley, and they're kind of masters of their own universe. But they have fires to put out and things encumber around their time. And like, you can't spend all your time doing whatever you think your legacy work is, but you need to be intentional about carving time out so that you're always making some progress toward, I don't care if it's five minutes a day in your worst, you know, putting out fire mode, but you need to look at yourself in the mirror every night and say, before you go to bed, yeah, I did like everything I could today to push like my legacy, my intentions, my big ideas forward. Um, be intentional. That means, you know, like this morning, it's getting cold here in Utah. I didn't want to get up and go for a walk on the trail. I'd rather like, you know, bundle up and go to the gym and get, excuse me, on a treadmill. But I know I've only got a couple more weeks left of trail walking before it's like 15 degrees. So um, yeah. I was intentional about it, you know, because I thought about what's the consequence of me not doing that. By four o'clock, between doing a podcast interview and client stuff, 
I'm going to feel worse than if I had gotten an hour of fresh air and started my day with sunlight and enjoying the beauty of why I moved here and, and getting my head straight for this interview, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so yes, be intentional. And, and that, that makes me think about like in my life, I'm, I'm trying to transition out of something to be more intentional in something else that is what my focus is right now. And so sometimes you have to decide like, what do you let go of? So you can be more intentional with the right thing. And that can be hard. So uh, when I did the independent film, I worked on a movie called Croupier with Clive Owen. And one of my favorite lines that I apply to business is, is literally from the movie. And he says, he's a gambler and he says, hold on tightly, but when it's time, let go lightly, mm-hmm. you know, like, mm, I like you, that. and people always ask me, well, when do you know, when did you know to go from, you know, finance to Hollywood to whatever? And Look, sometimes I made mistakes, there's failures and regrets, whatever it might be, but you need to figure out what your internal clock is for when you need to let go, mm-hmm. when you're holding on for the right reasons because things are not finished, or there's still some oppor- some shred of opportunity left that you need to be able to cancel out, um, or if it's ego or whatever else. I mean, at, at one point in 2015, I was trying to save my business. I sold my car, emptied my 401k, sold my life insurance policy. <laughs> Um, and it's, I still couldn't save it. It was a lesson in, I was controlling just about everything I could control, but there was so much out of my control that I wasn't willing to acknowledge because I'm a Taurus and I'm Italian and I can do whatever I want. I'm a Gen Xer, right? Bang, 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 bang. Um, but it was, uh, it was a lesson that in within a five week period, business went under, laid everybody off, was basically went bankrupt. My marriage ended, like all happened within a month and, and a week. And uh, all the things I was holding on to, to try to, for whatever reason, either save or keep, just had to learn to let go. And it yeah. was this great exercise. And the things that I did retain were the were, were the most important things to focus on, work on, spend my energy. So for months after that, when I was trying to figure out what am I going to do next in my life, career, personal, X, Y, Z, um, I had calendar notifications like four times a day because I'm a big calendar guy. And at like 10 a.m., noon, 2 p.m., 4 p.m., it would just pop up and it would say, right now, are you working on the most important thing you possibly can be? And usually it wasn't. It was BS. (laughs) And then you refocus. But until you train yourself to do what's intentional and focus on what's right and hold on on to what's right, you need constant reminders. And if you don't have a husband or a spouse or a a partner or a co-founder or a shrink, or, you know, some accountability partner, you have to learn to do it yourself. So, you know. Reminders is a great idea. That's smart. Um, Yeah, I just made a post about it the other day. Like, what's the difference in quitting and letting go? Because I'm not a quitter. So sometimes you can be confused and like, well, if I let go, is that me quitting? But there really is a difference, you know? Uh, And I was talking about how quitting is just where there is still stuff to be done. and, And you're just like... Eh, I don't feel like it. I'm tired or, or I'm, I just don't want to, um, out of laziness or something like that. But letting go is just when you have gone to the end of the road and you, there's, there's no rope left, you know, yeah. and maybe you've asked for help, but that help isn't there and there's just no rope left. So it, it might just be time to let go. And that's not quitting. So no, not at all. And I've been there. I've been there when, I don't understand why I can't save something because I've saved so many things in my past, mm-hmm. but you can't bet a thousand, right? right. So, um, and, and 
I have a I have a mug next to my desk that says "Own Your Shit," and it's like, "Tell the truth to yourself." I have a notebook right here, a quote by Dostoevsky I carry in my pocket. Above all, don't lie to yourself. Like, tell the truth, but most importantly, to yourself. And most people don't have the emotional awareness to realize when it's quitting versus when it's you know time to to move on. But if you're really honest with yourself, if you strip everything away, your ego, other people's expectations of you, and you have what I call that Rocky moment where after in the big first movie, he gets beaten up by some bum and he's looking at himself <laughs> in the mirror and he sees a picture of himself as this like beautiful kid with so much potential. And now he's just a bum living in a basement, sleeping on a mattress with no sheets with his head blown out. That look in his eyes, he knows that he's not living his best life up to his potential. Yeah. And that's why... My, my favorite thing about Rocky is that it's not the lesson isn't anybody could win and he get it because he loses in the first one. Most people forget But he tells Adrian, if I can stand next to this guy for 12 rounds, I, I deserve to stand in this world because I've done everything I can to do it. And that's so when he loses, he's not like I'm a loser. He's arms up in victory because he's finally proven to himself that he's so self-aware. He didn't quit. He went the distance and then let go. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um. <laughs> Beautiful. So, extra credit there, extra points there for uh, going with a Rocky quote. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so, uh, what what would you say are some of the biggest challenges you've had just this past year that you're working on? Sure. Um, for me personally, not that I see my clients having. Yes. Yes. Um, Getting back in front of people in real life because everybody is so used to this Zoom life. And prior to COVID, I probably twice a month, like, you know, maybe 15, 20 times a year, I was on the road giving speeches, keynotes and workshops. Um, and I loved it because also, like I said, at my level, I don't, there's no lead funnel that somebody's going to read a LinkedIn article and commit a year and all this money to work with me. So you got to get in front of people. And it's almost impossible on Zoom. People are doing three different things. I've given speeches and workshops, even, even paid gigs, but nowhere near as what it used to be for conferences. So, you know, even last week, getting to my biggest client's office in Silicon Valley, it's like months of work to create something that's so big and important that it needs to be done in person. You need to dedicate a full day to me. We can't do this on Zoom. Like that's been a big challenge coming up with uh, not justifications, but really kind of adjusting the curriculum to have big in-person moments that that they that they feel the wins and see that for. That's been one. Um, the second has kind of been at the at the whim of this business cycle. You know, there's constant there's constant ups and downs in the business cycle, but it feels like for the last year it's kind of been like being held back. Um, at the corporate level, and initially last summer, not the, not twenty three, but twenty two, massive layoffs. Right, you, you mm -hmm. see 10, 15, 20,000 layoffs a week at these big companies um, being announced. It's still happening, and most people don't realize it because it's not hitting the news. But when you when you touch base with people in your funnel, and they say, "Oh, we just, we just laid off another three thousand people," like we're not taking mm -hmm. on consultants wow. of the size wow. right now. So that's been a challenge, and um, you have people that tell you to water down your services and go down a couple rungs on the client demographic. I don't believe in that. Um, I just figure out how to create more value for my client demographic until it becomes 
they can't say no. You know, their board has to justify the, the time and the money. Um, uh, but it has given me an opportunity, the positive side, especially being in a new city. I mean, California, I did a lot of pro bono work with female entrepreneur groups, student groups, uh, kids in high school want to leave entrepreneurial lives. Um, getting to know the nonprofit and female founder and women backed venture space here in Utah. I found a few wonderful, uh, female founders to, to mentor pro bono and kind of like figure out how to extend my network to people that are below that rung of what I traditionally work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, but yeah, the biggest challenges have been getting out of this Zoom life and back in front of people because even going to conferences now, I've tried a couple of them. And people are so hungry for the social interaction that it's just there's no there's no attention span. You can't have a quality conversation with somebody, uh, or usually you can't. Um, so those have been my two biggest challenges. Uh, that and writing this book, frankly, uh, it's you know it's I'm a people tell me I'm a decent writer when I write and publish stuff. I published an excerpt from the book on LinkedIn just to kind of get a teaser out. You know, like two thousand people in my network like liked it and read it within a week or whatever. It was great. But um, I'm not a natural writer, so that's been a struggle for me, learning how to sit down and be productive every day and be okay with the fact that Thursday was 1,800 words, today is 50. It, it doesn't matter. You're still making your baby – all the everything I preach, you know, do as I say, not as I do, the cobbler <laughs> kids have no shoes kind of thing. Um, but those have been my biggest challenges. Um, I've been really fortunate in that once, you know, the – my client demographic is such that once they're in, they're in for the six months or usually for a year at that level. So there's an emotional commitment on top of the other two commitments. And I get to do really, really deep work with my clients and they get to be totally transparent with me as a non-stakeholder. Like, of course they pay me, but it's not their money. You know, it's their time. Um, but I can be completely honest with them and they can be vulnerable with me because I'm not going to report them to their board or HR. I mean, if they're doing something, you know, illegal, I have to, but um, I get to be an un, a non-stakeholder, almost like a therapist that can sit there and they can be totally open about and then figure out what's really that they should focus on. Because most of the time when you talk about what's bothering you, 95% of it sounds absurd once you actually say it and you realize it's not a real issue. Yeah. So, um, so that's, that's been a real benefit. So, uh, yeah, it's a difficult business environment at that level of, of corporate, uh, consulting right now, but also, uh, very engaged and, um, committed clients once you get them in there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wish you the best with all that. I, I'm, I'm sure you are incredible to work with, with your background and your drive to uh, honestly help help people. Lastly, what legacy do you aspire to leave through your voice? Through my voice? Um, I, like my, my essential intent from like a Greg McCowan essentialism uh, uh, sense, which is also in, in essential, your legacy. Um, I seek to empower leaders those who can have a, a, a force multiplier impact, empower those people to self-actualize and make the biggest measurable impact on their stakeholders. So whether it's my clients, employees, their families, their customers, society in whole, if they're deeply CSR based, um, I want, because I work with so few clients and it's so intense when I look back or somebody looks back and says, wow, like, you know, he only worked with 20 people over the, over the last five, seven years of his life. But 
look at the legacy those people left in their industries and in their communities, X, Y, Z. And I really honestly believe that dialing in your psychological performance so that you can perform with the highest level under stress um, and also learning to tell a compelling story to your stakeholders that is so undeniable, even if they don't like you, they have to advocate for you, which I see a lot. My board, some of my boards don't want to do what they're, they're, my clients want, but they realize they have to. It makes sense. Um, I want that to be my legacy. You know, that I, I empower people that had the power to make massive impact just by the sheer size and numbers of their you know, customer base, communities, companies, budgets, whatever it might be. Um, and there's nothing wrong with helping somebody one-on-one. I do that in my pro bono work. I was a big brother twice. Like I love, if you can impact one person's life, amazing. But I'm not spending my time building and learning and sharing this to have a one-to-one impact with a CEO who might have you know, 80, 90, 100,000 employees. You add you average one and a half people per U.S. family or whatever. They got 250,000 people who are really going to be affected by decisions they make at a high level. Yeah. And you add first-degree vendors. They could have a half a million stakeholders that are really their lives are going to depend on the swings in the economy and their business cycle, right? So mm-hmm. um, I had one client who was, was very proud. They were the only one in their sector not to furlough or lay off anyone in 2020. Their competitors were just slashing people left and right, and they figured out how to do it in a way that was, you know, that kept the stock up, kept the analysts happy, but also kept their employee base happy. And that built such a deep loyalty now, three years later, that when it happens again, because it will, those people won't even question that the company has their best interests at heart in addition to what's healthy for the company, you know? Um, So, yeah, hopefully I can help people maximize their force multiplier effect for good. Very um, cool. I, I love it. Um, well, Damon, how can people connect with you online? Sure. LinkedIn is probably the, the best place. Um, my LinkedIn profile, you could, you could drop a link in the comments or in your description. My website has a contact form, legacymentor.co. It's not, it's not a com, it's a .co. Um, and they could drop that form or email me. Uh, those are the two best places. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for being here. I I really enjoyed getting to talk more with you. And you guys reach out to Damon if you're looking for um, a mentor, a legacy mentor, for sure. This is so much fun. Thank you. Yeah. And for everyone else, you can contact me at edwinaadams.com and get a hold of all my social media uh, links there as well. And, um, you know, subscribe to the podcast, leave a review. If you specifically love something Damon said, you know, note that in the review so we know and can pass that along and Uh, Thanks for tuning in.